Today I am here with Dr. Viga Kaufman, uh, C. Boulder part-time instructor in psychology and neuroscience and a licensed clinical psychologist. Uh, Viga, thank you for coming to talk with us today. Hello, thanks for inviting me. So today we're going to be going over a little bit about COVID-19 and some of the psychological reactions and psychological um, events that are happening during this time, during the pandemic. So um, let's uh, get started. So the American Psychological Association reported in in an April article that some of the effects of the pandemic have been anxiety, panic attacks, and depression. Um, Have you seen these effects? And would you say that they're widespread? How widespread would you say that they are? Mm, That's a great question. I think that it might sound funny to say, but we're from the perspective of psychological diagnosis. We're actually still early on in the pandemic. In order for something to be actually become a mental health issue, it needs to persist for a certain period of time as well and just get in the way of the way um, of people's activities of daily living or or just feeling um, uh, a certain level of distress. And I think that I would expect to see an increase in the diagnosis of things like first onset obsessive compulsive disorder or even first onset panic disorders. I think it'll take some time to see what types of things um, emerge as new diagnoses for people, but I think it absolutely makes sense that people who are already have vulnerabilities towards having panic attacks, anxiety, depression, and OCD, or obsessive compulsive disorder, um, are experiencing an exacerbation or a worsening of those experiences in the context of a pretty major chronic stressor like COVID. Um, and how have the how has that um, those issues been exacerbated? Uh, are there any specific ways they've um, been made worse under the pandemic? Um, have you seen any specific effects? Sure. Yeah. So, I, what's unique about COVID, as opposed to any other like natural disaster, is the level of uncertainty that's going on with it. We have no idea when it's going to end. We have no idea what the um, transmission is going to look like um, over a particular period of time. And human beings in general don't like uncertainty. It's definitely not the habitat in which we like to dwell. So when you have um, a high level of uncertainty, of course that is going to make worse um, people's experience of worry. Um, And worry goes along with the experience of anxiety and feeling anxiety. You know, even certain types of anxiety disorders are punctuated by worry. For for example, something called generalized anxiety disorder is kind of like worry gone awry. which can be, you know, obviously this is going, sometimes people even have um, worry about worry and they, they grow concerned that they can't control what their minds are thinking about or um, can't guide their brains to um, having more calm or peaceful thoughts. So right now during a period of uncertainty, I think a lot of us are experiencing more worry and I certainly have seen that people who are prone to excessive worry are seeing a worsening in that. And with, with OCD, I'm sure you can imagine that... Um, uh, just thinking that you might be contaminated or being worried about being outside of your house and potentially getting contaminated by other people, um, those intrusive thoughts would, would definitely increase in the context of um, a transmissible illness such as, such as COVID-19. All right. Um, now, you mentioned that uh, people who are already dealing with some of these disorders are seeing an exacerbation of these issues, but Vaga, have you seen any other populations that have been especially hard hit 
um, by the psychological element of the pandemic? Yeah, I think I think what's what's difficult too is especially within the context of um, substance use disorders. I know that we've already seen an increase of um, overdose deaths, and and this could be this could be due to a number of things. You know, one is that people don't have access, um, and for for a while people were fumbling to get access to their healthcare providers. Um, in the context, when we think about like the opioid epidemic, you know, people um, who are being treated. Um, with medications that help them um, navigate, you know, um, abstinence from using some of those drugs, and then they don't have access to them, um, then then why wouldn't that, you know, create, like, the perfect storm for people to accidentally overdose if they end up using more? I think within the context of alcohol use disorders, a lot of people um, who even don't have an alcohol use disorder are talking about day drinking or, you know, drinking far more alcohol than is typical for them. I think even Colorado saw an uptick in alcohol sales in the first few months of the, of the pandemic. So anything that we're kind of vulnerable to right now um, is, is very likely to be, to be activated in, this, in the context of this type of, you know, chronic, uncertain stress. But I think substance use disorders, anxiety disorders, um, and anyone already having um, feelings of loneliness um, before this all started, that's, that's definitely um, gotten worse. So you mentioned a little bit there just at the end about people who are already feeling kind of like that loneliness um, with the pandemic. Um, yeah. How, what, what's the effect been like for them? Yeah, well, you know, one of the things that, that loneliness is, is very different than solitude, right? Solitude is, is, a, is a state of being alone and, and kind of enjoying being alone with our thoughts and with our activities and our hobbies, whereas loneliness is this profound feeling of just being disconnected from other people and not really feeling um, like you have a space to a group, you know, who's, who's your tribe, who's, who are you affiliated with. Um, and that's hard enough when you don't have restrictions in travel and being able to talk with people face to face. And now that, you know, this, this is all happening in a digital era, you know, you'd think that, um, you know, like Zoom and other types of, you know, social um, media might even help people feel more connected, but it doesn't seem like that that's exactly happening. People, you know, it's interesting, in the beginning of the pandemic, some people who um, I spoke with who are prone to feeling especially lonely were saying that um, they felt a little bit of relief in the beginning because it felt like they were in it with everybody else. You know, everyone was quarantining, everybody was locked down. And as some of those restrictions were lifted, that loneliness kind of came back with a vengeance. And even in retrospect, people were saying um, they're hearing about how other people sought connection or obtained connection in the context of COVID and, and feeling um, some grief that they weren't able to do that um, either. All right. Um, so with the discussion over psychological responses, um, let's let's turn it to CU Boulder. Have you seen any of these responses in college students? Have you seen anything different in, say, college students or um, those who are in education right now, say, even high school students or younger? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's a high school and college, I mean, just even those developmental stages is the role of social support is so important. And for, for, for there, there's just a lot of grieving to do there. Like one is that people are removed from their friends, 
Um, I know that some parents are like, oh, hang out with your friends. You're obviously, you know, grumpy and stressed out. Um, but it's not just even being removed from their social support and their friends and the things they like to do, but, you know, sports have been derailed, any, you know, organizational activities, um, have been derailed, any extracurricular activities, and especially for, you know, juniors and seniors in high school, now they're facing this uncertainty about their future. Um, also, you know, worried about the health of their parents um, and being bombarded with just a tremendous amount of information, but also misinformation. You know, there's a lot There's a lot of misinformation out there, too, that, that's really, I think, contributing a great deal to the stress and anxiety that people are experiencing about what does COVID mean for me? What are the financial costs? What, when is this going to be over? And then, you know, a, a lot of backpedaling on some of the information that we got um, early on. So I think people are just feeling a loss of, of control. And, and within high school and college students, it's a really unique developmental period where there's a grieving and a loss of some of those milestones. I was really feeling for the CU students who couldn't have their, um, you know, graduation commencement ceremony in the, in the spring, whereas, you know, there was some attempts to create something. And I think, you know, departments did just an amazing job rallying and trying to make it as personal as possible. But sometimes that can even amplify, you know, people's sense of, wow, this is really different. And there is something that um, in some ways I feel like I've been robbed of. Um, so, yeah, I worry, I worry about some of the just, you know, some of those life milestones that are, that are going to be missed and will need to be grieved as a result. You mentioned a little while ago um, misinformation playing into uh, these issues. Would you say that that's a further exacerbation or would there be another specific way to influence this issue? You know, I think it kind of goes both ways. So I know some people who have um, who have clearly said, you know, it's very clear that human beings are the major source of the transmission of this virus. So if I just stay home, then I got nothing to lose. You know, I can just work from home, stay at home, and it doesn't matter what information is um, turns out to be inaccurate this I know is, is solid. Um, so on the one hand, I, I, I know some people who are maybe isolating too much, um, and that's kind of slowly but surely chipping away at um, not only their quality of life, but at their, uh, at their mood and, and connectedness. Um, whereas other people, you know, the pendulum swung the other way, and they're like, I don't think anyone knows what they're talking about, and until there is greater consensus, I... Um, just going to do what I want to do. And in the middle of that, and I think most people are just kind of trying to cobble together some sort of plan um, for safety for themselves and for their community that feels like their best shot, but still, you know, questioning, you know, we want to be confident about our decisions and we want to feel as if, you know, we're informed consumers um, of, uh, of what to do in these types of situations. But, you know, as the science evolves, um, I think people still feel tentative about some of the decisions they're making that fall kind of somewhere in the middle. You mentioned a little while ago um, about isolating too much for some people. Mm. What would you say that that looks like? Um, what would you say kind of isolating too much looks like more on kind of like a, say, a personal level for someone who has been? Yeah, you know, I have, you know, I know a few people who, you know, they have friends and family who are local and um, who live locally, and um, they're very close 
with their with their family members and people are you know creating all sorts of elaborate zoom activities to try to get um you know that connection with with friends and family but people are yearning just for human interaction you know face to face where you can almost feel the warmth of somebody's smile um it's very different on uh digitally than it is um you know, when when you're when you're in the same room as somebody, so there it's interesting just even as a as a psychologist to um, where I understand that we're dealing with such a um, uh, contagious virus, but on the other hand, you know, there's there's risk in depression and loneliness too, and so it's interesting for me to kind of encourage people to well, maybe you could go outside and have a socially distanced masked kind of, you know, outing with your mom or your dad or this best friend of yours in someone's backyard. Um, but, uh, you know, even even I sometimes am like, oh, my gosh, well, what if I tell someone that, you know, this is probably okay to do and then something goes wrong? <laughs> I wouldn't want to be the, the, the source of, of uh, their having, you know, gotten some sort of infection. But I think that, you know, over, over caution is um, anxiety-provoking as well and greatly erodes quality of life too. So I think it's, it's finding that, finding a balance. So with these reactions, how have you seen them evolve over time um, as time goes on with the pandemic? I know you said earlier that um, it was still fairly early on, so there's not really general consensus, but have you seen kind of any way that they've evolved or that they've changed the longer the pandemic has gone on? Yeah, I think, you know, in some, that's such a great question because in, in some ways, you know, especially when I'm thinking about depression and loneliness, I've seen kind of the insidious um, deterioration of people's mood and functioning and feeling kind of hopeless around it um, and and really trying to find ways to um, add some more vitality to people's day-to-day. I think that something that is... Um, probably we'll see maybe a spike later in the pandemic is that, you know, people I know who have agoraphobia, meaning that there is a restriction in travel in terms of how much, um, how far they're willing to leave the house or under what circumstances they're willing to leave the house. Um, You know, they said, this has been great for me. (laughs) I like being able to stay at home. I don't have to make up excuses for why Um, I don't want to leave the house, and telehealth has been great for me. I, I like not having to leave my house, where, as I think when, when this um, lifts a little bit, um, that type of exposure to previously um, avoided things is actually going to be potentially problematic. So I think we're going to kind of see this ripple effect where there are some things that emerge more acutely, such as you know depression and loneliness, and maybe some things that spike a little bit later when people um, can no longer avoid some of the things that um, they'd like to, and that COVID and quarantine has allowed them to avoid in terms of social distancing and, and quarantine and so forth. Gotcha. Um, with that, uh, you mentioned kind of a, agoraphobia and people not wanting to leave the house. How that's um, and how kind of people might not want to leave at first because of um, what's been happening. Do you feel like there are any other kind of lasting effects or behaviors that people will have from this pandemic? Hmm. Well, that's, that's, that's another, that's actually a really great question because I think that some, 
I don't think the, the outlook is only grim. So when, we, when I think about negative outcomes, I do think about um, um, you know, loss of opportunity, um, loss of connection, um, worsening um, experiences of loneliness or um, relapses in terms of substance use. I think from a more resilient perspective is that I think people are surprised by their self-sufficiency in some ways. You know, I think that, um, you know, people are trying to cope um, across the spectrum. People are kind of, you know, um, trying out different ways of being in the world in, the, in terms of quarantine. And there are some hits and some, some misses. But I think some people have even surprised themselves at how um, well they've coped under incredibly stressful circumstances. Um, but for the long term, I just, you know, I think the, the financial impact is enormous, the economic impact. Um, I think that the, the division between, um, you know, the, the people who, um, you know, some people even, if you think about it, like when, when March, when we went into quarantine pretty rapidly, some people experienced an immediate loss of income. You know, people in the service industry who relied on tips. Um, and it was pretty much very rapid. You know, I think about them a lot. Like, wow, you know, like they went one day from having their flow of income and being able to plan to really quite suddenly not being able to do that or having having a significant loss of income. And then I think about people who um, slowly but surely have experienced, you know, layoffs at their work. And what goes along with the economic piece is not just money, but it's access to resources, people's health care. Um, if I have to go to the hospital, how am I going to pay for it? Um, if I don't have a job and I don't have benefits, what will happen if I get COVID? Um, which are all very important worries, and they're, they're useful worries when they lead to problem solving in terms of um, there's a different degree of just having the thought, what am I going to do? Um, and being anxious about it versus what am I going to do and then plan accordingly. So it's, it really runs the gamut of parents, you know, with, with kids um, trying to figure out um, how they're going to basically homeschool their kids in some way. I think that um, managing those um, parenting roles within a household or single parents, how they are managing, um, you know, childcare. The, the, the number of struggles that people are experiencing in this context are enormous. Um, and again, as, as human beings tend to be, um, many people are rising to the occasion finding ways to cope, um, but other people definitely need more resources. And I don't know that um, even as a community we've been very equipped to, to be incredibly useful that way to provide some of those resources. With that, um, that kind of leads into our next question, which is that in psychology today, um, Dr. Shauna H. Springer said that our future horizon has been changed and that Americans have been taken down to kind of the survival level on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. They've kind of just been put back at that kind of level of where survive, they just need to kind of prioritize kind of just surviving. Um, what do you make of that statement? Hmm. Um... So going back to the basics, just making sure that people have um, what she's saying is having a roof over your heads and, and food on the table, et cetera. That's 
the degree to which um, she feels we've been set back. I think I think it depends. I think that um, there is some deep poverty that we don't um, often talk about. I think it surprised people when um, you know schools went online. And when you hear the number of Coloradans who don't have internet access in their households, um, I think that that's baffling to some people. And I think there's also a lot of um, shame and stigma around lack of resources and not being able to have those things. So I think those are other barriers um, to people getting the resources they need to. And it, it's, it's a class issue, right? Like there's definitely a divide in people who have resources and people who don't. The Daily Camera just had an article about that, about how some families are able to hire private tutors and form these pods, um, whereas other families don't have the resources to do that in terms of, um, you know, being able to provide an education for their kids. So I can see, a, you know, some kernel of truth in what, in what she's saying um, for a large um, uh, proportion of our population. And I'd just like to clarify for our audience real quick, the, um, the quote from uh, Spencer was, many Americans have suddenly been taken down to the survival level of Maslow hierarchies of needs. Anything beyond that was my own words. But still, okay. with, with that, um, with those pods um, and kind of those private tutors, would you say that that's kind of deepening kind of inequity um, with uh, people and do you feel like that um, once again is exacerbating that impact? Yeah, absolutely. I think you know I, there was my, one of my favorite quotes was somebody who um, was an hourly wage worker, and they said, "Oh, suddenly I'm an essential worker. Um, I wasn't so essential that you could pay me more outside of the pandemic, but now um, I'm, I'm a this very important person that you want to, to show up. And um, you know, where's my hazard pay? What happens if I get sick?" Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, I think the inequities are, are, you know, there's a magnifying glass over, over them. And whereas um, part of coping before was just kind of getting on through the, the day-to-day um, through, for, for people who are under-resourced um, to now feeling kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know, resentful. Like, suddenly, you know, you didn't need me before and now you need me. And yet um, I'm under-resourced and in part that could change with my community and the way that we, you know, allocate our resources. So it is, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard for families. It's hard for individuals. And, um, I mean, I, I like the, the, the idea of going back to survival because a lot of times, you know, especially Boulder, it's a, it's a nice community where, you know, a lot of people have, you know, more resources than maybe other people in the state of Colorado and, you know, being reminded of like, not, you know, everyone, um, has uh can be on autopilot here you know people are definitely definitely scrambling and even with rent you know having be suddenly you know with with the sudden loss of income and then the stress of well how am i going to pay my rent how am i going to have this conversation with my landlord how am i going to tell them that i'm not going to be able to cover these expenses i like that they didn't know i was struggling before and now i feel exposed people will know that i have financial hardship whereas before maybe i was climbing out of that and now you know, there's no denying it. So there's, there's just multiple levels here of um, potential for distress. So um, if you don't mind, I'd like to kind of move on to some of the issue, the psychology surrounding mask orders and stay-at-home orders. And I believe you talked to Denver 7 about this issue, correct? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm, I sure did. All right. So, um, in your experience, what kind of reactions um, have you seen to stay-at-home orders and masks, and what have you seen causing those reactions? What have you seen kind of like driving those reactions? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So with 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 the mask and some of the stay-at-home orders, you know, just like most things, it's like this, you know, normal distribution where you're going to have um, a subsection of people who are over responders and are highly um, uh, compliant uh, and adherent to uh, any instruction about how they can avoid COVID. Those are, those are some of the people I talked to you maybe about where I said, I think it's okay to get out of the house. Um, and then on the other end of the spectrum, you have under-responders, you know, who almost have, you know, an allergic reaction to being told what to do um, and, uh, you know, feel like any sort of, you know, mandate and an and, and impingement on their, their personal freedoms or civil liberties. But I think for the most part, people kind of fall in the middle where um, most of the people that um, I have spoken with or interacted with or have heard of from some of the people that I speak with, people typically are wanting to do the right thing. I think that people who aren't wearing masks are, are a vocal minority. Um, however, I think that um, in the interest of public health, most people um, are doing what they can to be adherent to the suggestion to wear masks. I don't know if you've had a different experience or not, but that's, that's what I've seen so far. Right. Um, and you said that some people have been having that adverse reaction because they because they don't want to be kind of like told what to do. Uh, have you seen any deeper kind of like maybe traits or reasoning as to why um, that has occurred? Um, I, you know, again, I think that what I'm what I'm sad about in terms of this pandemic is that I think that we have amazing scientists doing amazing work. What has been muddled is the science communication. So when, you know, masks in the beginning were, really people were very much encouraged to, you know, not to hoard masks and to make sure that, you know, they were available for healthcare workers. And in, which was a perfectly fine message, but where it was muddled was, and masks won't even help you that much. Um, so, so, you know, one of the things that kind of goes along with pandemics too are like conspiracy theories. This is not new for COVID. You know, we had it with the Spanish flu. Um, there was some of that with, um, MERS and SARS, uh, when that happened in Hong Kong about what, what, how this really came about. So I think that distrust and an erosion in trust of like health authorities, um, has contributed in part to, you know, people maybe not wanting to adopt some of the suggestions for hygiene practices in terms of what's going to mitigate or manage this, this pandemic. But, but again, I think for the most part, um, it's, it's a vocal minority of people who don't want to. I think that people in general have really tried to um, protect one another by adopting some of these um, management strategies. Now, um, now you've mentioned there that it's a majority. It's only a minority of people who don't want to wear them, and it's a majority of people who are um, working to do these things to protect others. Um, and we've mentioned a little bit about how uh, sometimes it's caught. These uh, reactions have been caused kind of by that um, willing to obey 
um, health authorities or distrust of health authorities, but do you feel that there is any kind of an intersection between psychology around the pandemic and politics? And politics? Yep. Is that what you said? Um, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. I feel like the, the psychological footprint of this pandemic is massive um, in terms of how people think about authority, how much people are willing to um, adopt some of the measures that authority figures have um suggested like mask wearing um, and social distancing, but I think you got, you know, when you get it wrong, it just really undermines credibility and people are less likely to do what's what's recommended. And I think that um, people who have been, you know, maybe unwilling adopters when you hear um, information that, um, you know, science is self-correcting too. So I think that oftentimes people think like, well, people don't understand, people, nobody knows what's going on and they're making it up. Well, science is a self-correcting enterprise. So, you know, we, as this is a completely new virus. So as the evidence kind of emerges, we're doing the best we can with the data that um, we have. And as part of that process, some of the recommendations that are made or some of the ideas um, that are put out there in science communication are going to be revised. I think another good example is, um, uh, you know, people were washing their groceries in the beginning of all this, right? You know, you, you don't want to touch anything. The virus lives on surfaces. Um, you know, really a big push for hand sanitation and all that. All that is very important. And now I think we have a better idea as of, you know, what, today, August 4th, 2020 that a really important um, mode of transmission is um, through the aerosols we exhale you know the, the virus um, in our in our breath and in our nose and the way it comes out when we speak and um, sing and talk and cheer um, and I think that's confusing the the and people don't we don't like to be confused there's already so much uncertainty so once we buy into something and then it changes I think that sometimes for for some people more than others that can be a difficult um, cognitive shift to make about what uh, how they how they want to navigate this um, this pandemic because we're searching for you know bids for control so when we think like oh okay you know I'll just carry my hand sanitizer and um, you know, have some sort of face covering, then I'll be fine. And then, you know, things change with, um, well, the hand sanitizer is good, but make sure you wash your hands and the face covering still stays. You know, people, it, it's hard to, to kind of be constantly shifting, especially in the context of um, other stressors that have, you know, such as the economic ones we discussed earlier in terms of the pandemic. So it's, it's just a tough time where people have, there's a big learning curve here. Um, so we've mentioned a little bit kind of distrust of health authorities. Do you feel that there, in your experience, there's any way for um, trust to be earned back? Um, I think people like the truth. I really do. I think that Fauci, pretty much people trust him. Um, one thing that I've been very impressed by him is that he has been willing to say he doesn't know. And I think people trust that um, he, his, his intentions are in the right place. So I think that one way to stoke um, trust in, uh, you know, health authorities is, is people being able to admit 
when they didn't get it right, but also to explain why. I think that, you know, it's, it's again, people worked with the best information they had. Um, data are coming out slowly but surely um, to be able to understand the pandemic and ways to mitigate it. Um, and as those data come out, I think it's okay for, for people to say, listen, this is what we were working with before. Now it's clear this is um, uh, closer to reality. Um, I also think that suggestions and providing people with the data, like, wow, it seems that um, I read this statistic and I was really blown away. So Hong Kong, they um, did not have any massively drastic measures in terms of, um, you know, prolonged lockdowns like um, uh, uh, places in China had to, to stop the virus, viral transmission, but they had experienced SARS. So the population was already um, socialized to using masks and not pressing elevator buttons with their fingers, etc. And, you know, the numbers might not be entirely accurate for August 2020, but I think when I read the article, it was June or July, where they had seven COVID deaths as opposed to, you know, a, a, um, a metropolis of similar size, just like New York City. Um where, where it was just devastated by COVID. But, but one of the things is that people already were like, oh, we know, we know the drill. We're gonna wear a mask, we're going to, you know, really focus on hygiene, and it worked. And I think that um, the difference is, is that this is new for a lot of people, um, you know, in Western countries, and people um, prefer to have suggestions and a rationale. Um, so I think being really, transparent with the rationale with some suggestions might um, gain a little bit more traction in terms of buy-in. So we've talked about a lot in this interview. Um, So for any of our listeners out there who might be feeling uh, anxious, stressed, depressed, or suffering from an exacerbation of their um, already existing issues or um, things they've already been dealing with, or just any are being affected in any way in general, is there anything you'd suggest to, that they can do to help themselves? Um, well, one is, is to tell somebody. I think that um, oftentimes people don't talk about struggling or feeling vulnerable, and it just takes one person to say, like, you know what, I am just not doing as well as I'd like to be. Um for, uh, to, to, so that other people know and maybe even get some camaraderie in that. Like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad somebody said it. I'm not doing so well either. Um, so, so talking about it with, you know, trusted friends and family, I think another is um, letting their current healthcare providers know. Border County Public Health is another good, you know, looking at for local resources. Um, but even in the digital community, there, there are people talking about... Um, some of their the anxieties that they're experiencing or the concerns um, that they have. I think also going back to the basics um, of what was I doing before the pandemic started that seemed to be helpful. A lot of people's core health behaviors understandably plummeted when this began. So people have an irregular sleep schedule, um, not um, having as much physical activity. 
um, not having their days anchored with, you know, little pieces of predictability, you know, routines and rituals have been derailed. Um, so thinking about what are the types of things that I did before this all hit to keep um, some sort of balance in my life. But, you know, honestly, some people don't have balance going into this. Um, so what's the low-hanging fruit of what I can do um, to make myself feel better? What are some of the things that I might be doing that are definitely not helpful, um, such as, you know, increased drug or alcohol use? Um, we know that, you know, this pandemic... These are not the circumstances under which, people, under which people flourish. It's okay to be struggling right now, and there are resources in the um, community and online um, uh, and through, your, through, through any established healthcare providers that you can gain additional um, help. But I think also just the perspective of um, being able to, to explicitly state that, you know, this is... I'm not my best self right now. This pandemic's getting to me. is a is a good first step in finding some of those um, resources that are a good match for those people. So that comes to the end of my questions. But is there anything you'd like to say to our listeners, or while you have this time, is there anything you'd want them to walk away knowing or thinking about? Um, I, I yeah, I think that you know this is this is a big historical time and that doesn't mean that um, everything is grim and that there is no hope. One of the other things that we know about pandemics is that there's an increase in altruism um, of looking out for one another and that's another way of, you know, look out for yourself and for one another and for each other and maybe that's one way that we can, um, you know, increase some of our um, psychological resilience you know the we've been removed from a lot of the sources of activity that allow us to feel good that allow us to feel like we're contributing or that we have meaningful relationships and um finding some of those ways to reconnect with with people is um a matter of trial and error and not, don't stop trying. You know, if, if something didn't work and it didn't feel like, you know, that felt really artificial, is of course it felt artificial. This is an artificial kind of time, but if you keep at it, um, you'll find something that, that, that fits. And it seems like we're in it for, for a while and have, punctuating your days with certainty, whether it be rituals, routines, waking up at the same time each day or getting some physical activity at the same time each day can be really helpful in um, injecting some certainty during uncertain times. Uh, Dr. Vika Kaufman, thank you. Thank you.